That's me. Well, what the, how, it's pretty elegant, isn't it? We haven't been in here for a couple of years. The last time we were doing church here, when we were doing renovations, I had the renovation here a couple of years ago, which was early on in my experience. So, I'm going to go and get a Interesting day today, in a time to give you word. Uh, because, uh, as you would be expecting, we're, we're heading back into the Jerome's. Um, that's that's the, the plan for the next patch of the near future. In particular, what follows next in the book of Romans from where we've been is Romans chapter 9, which I would describe as a big chew. It's like it's like when you look at the pie and you think the whole thing will fit in one go, and then when you try to eat the pie, it's halfway through the chew before you discover that no, it doesn't all fit in one go. Um, and you figure that out on Saturday night at about 11 p.m. And so you decide on Sunday morning to preach a different sermon. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, so we're going to do Romans 9 next week. Um, I, use, I want to use this week to help prepare us, get us in the right frame of mind here, what, what the Lord's going to be doing in the next few chapters of Romans. Um, and good news, even if you aren't going to be here next week, this is still helpful. We're going to be looking at still Bible, it's still good, it's, it's, it stands on its own two feet. Um, but I think this, this passage is one that helps put us in a, a healthy posture before God, um, one that we want to maintain in this week, all the time really, this week especially. Uh, what we're going to be doing is turning to the book of First Corinthians, if you'd like to turn there with me. We're going to be looking at First Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to be talking about humility before God. Humility before God. And we'll be picking it up from First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17. First Corinthians 1 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For, in the, foolish, uh, sorry, for, uh, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God 
righteousness, <coughs> sanctification, redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen? I love that. This is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Uh, it reminds me, I, I heard an illustration once, and I forget the details of it, sadly, of a, uh, a, long, a long way back. There was a, a member of the British nobility, a lady, or would she be a, a lady or something, baroness, um, who said that she was saved and included into God's kingdom by the letter M. Because here in 1 Corinthians it says, not, not many of you will count. Not, not any of you will count. <laughs> Humility before God. Here's, here's the setup. Here's, here's what's happening in this, this passage that helps us to understand what's happening. Uh, the, the church in Corinth, to which this letter is being written, has some infighting going on of a disappointing sort um, because it seems like the church in Corinth has every flaw that it is possible for a church to have. I'm about to do the project on thing again. Like a <laughs> We're waiting. We're waiting. Okay. Can we, like the, the church of Corinth seems to just have every flaw that it's possible for a church to have simultaneously. Um, they even seem to have the contradicting ones where it would seem like a church has to have one of these flaws and not both at the same time. As, as a single congregation, they were simultaneously having issues with legalism and permissiveness. How do you even do that? That takes skill. Um, <laughs> I'm very glad that I am your pastor and not theirs. Thank you, Lord. And I can say that with complete sincerity. It turns out that churches can be broken, and that doesn't mean that God is untrue, but it is still very painful. What it does mean is that we're idiots, and God is very patient with us. There's an issue in mind here, in chapter 1. One of the many issues. The issue is that the people of this congregation in, in Corinth have factionalized. They've formed their little cliques, their little clubs, their little tribes, and they have now started going to war with one another, against one another, inside the church. And what are these clubs forming over and around? The answer is, which teacher they follow, who their leader is. Which is why Paul says that he is glad that he didn't do much baptizing among them. Although later on he says, I didn't baptize, oh, I didn't come to you guys to baptize, I just came to preach. No, I did, I did baptize guys. And then later on he's like, I think we'll have someone else's house, so I don't remember. It's in brackets in the Bible, I love it. It's a personal moment of Paul being like, I was in your church, and I don't even remember who I was. Which means I'm not the only one to ever forget. <laughs> Which teacher they are? He's glad to have not baptized many of the people in this church because otherwise that could have been used as a weapon in the silly war. Do you understand? I was baptized by Paul. You were baptized by one of the pastors. What do? I'm better than you, right? That's the claim that their flesh would have been making in this silly fight. These are arguments over prestige. Who belongs to the most important teacher? The irony of ironies that the teachers that they are laying, laying claim to, to to represent their faction are all men who have ministered together and preached the same gospel. People do this, don't they? Nothing, not, like, not a thing has changed in human nature. The idea of the Christian faith is that we, you and I, we have direct access to God himself. You can, you can talk to the creator of all things and he's listening to you. His spirit has come to make its 
home in you. You have been adopted into the family of Jesus. And we're busy fighting over who goes to the most important church or has the most important Nonsense. What has divided these people is, is not arguments over what is true, not doctrinal distinctives that are important and that matter. What has divided these people is petty arguments over who is who in the zoo. Did we do this today? Have you ever felt that your efforts to serve God matter more if the right person notices? As if God himself noticing it wasn't enough? Have you ever come across that person who likes to name drop as a way of kind of gaining significance and importance? You know, kind of a way of beginning themselves. And they're just the most obnoxious thing. You know, I just happen to know I, I, I was just talking with you. know, that one time I actually got to meet A fun story, actually. Um, I was recently at an event uh, <laughs> where I sat next to a federal MP. But the story is fun because I had no idea who he was. <laughs> and so I did the fun thing. And I, just, I, just, I did the pastor thing. I introduced myself to him. Oh, g'day, Martin's Matt. Nice to meet you. What are you doing? So, yeah, I'm a federal member of the service. And uh, fortunately, he seemed to enjoy my appearance and didn't seem offended. It turned out that he was a Christian and he was talking about how he was studying Greek and how that's useful and devotional. I really enjoyed myself that day. I had to look him up afterwards to find out who he was. I tell you that story to show you how important your pastor is. Because I know him better. But I don't think it's even a general memory anymore. Actually, I was just telling that story the other day to the Queen. I've never um, <laughs> told you once, I've told you a thousand times. It's a special man. Texas. When, 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 we, when we step outside of the church, it's no, it's no different, is it? It's, it's factionalizing, it's clubbing, it's tribalizing. Um, in fact, if anything, it's, it's getting worse. And this, this factional fighting isn't about. It's not really about truth. That's not what it's about. It's not about reality. It's about belonging to the right club in order to gain significance. That's, that's what's, what's happening in the human heart that creates this unholy factionalizing. There are times when there is true and false in and out, right? There really is a kingdom of God that some people belong to and some don't. That's not the, the thing we're talking about. We're talking about the other thing, the unholy thing, where we, we invent words, that we can use to put other people into a box, to depersonalize them, to dismiss them, and to make ourselves better. Human nature. It turns out that the cause of all of that going on, both outside the church and what happens inside the church in such a disappointing way, is that we have too high a view of ourselves. It's a boastful. I've either got a high view of myself, or perhaps I've just got a high view of some human leader and I'm trying to leech off their, their status. But my flesh is trying to lay claim to significance by venue of human achievement. Human belonging. And so because this is happening in the church of Corinth, Paul is glad to have not baptised them, but to have merely preached the gospel. So it can be seen 
that the cross is where the power of God is found, not Paul. He describes this message, this gospel, in some very strange terms. This message is perceived as folly by lots of people. Foolishness, whilst at the same time being seen as wisdom by others. Don't we know how powerful peer pressure is? Didn't we just, haven't we just experienced it so much recently? How hard is it to hold on to a view which you believe is true if you are in the minority? It gets more difficult, as if the majority of people is the, the source of truth. True is true, no matter, no matter who subscribes to it or, or, or not. And so even though this word of God is perceived as folly by lots of people, it is true, as is known by those of us who have come to understand it. And then he quotes the Old Testament where we learn something a little bit surprising about God, which is the most important thing for us to hear today. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19. He says, For it is written, quoting the Old Testament, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will quote. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will quote. Here is the big idea of our passage. God has designed salvation to work in a very specific way. One of its goals, and this goal is very important to God, and this is a goal that sometimes I think we're less familiar with than some of the other goals. One of the, and I would say central goals, of the gospel is to prevent humans from boasting in the present. It's on purpose. It's not, it's not a bug, it's a feature. God has designed salvation to work in such a way as to prevent humans from boasting in the presence of God. Why? Because that boasting, were it intact, is spiritually perilous and needs to be dealt with. It's one reason. But also because that boasting is offensive to the God who is jealous for his glory, the glory he will share with no other. It offends God that his creations seem to think that they are his equals. That is a travesty. The, gospel, the good news about Jesus has a few important features that help with God's goal of preventing boasting and bringing us into a place of appropriate humility before our God. The first is that the that salvation is by grace and through faith in Jesus, right? That that gospel shows us that the power of salvation, the power of God is found not in us, but in the cross. The power is in the cross, not us. Look at verses 17 to 19. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Can you imagine this? If, 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 if the message of salvation had been delivered through Paul's articulateness, then the power was in Paul's articulateness, not in the crosses. That's not how it happened. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, 
But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy those of the lives and the descendant of the sin of The power is in the cross, is in Jesus and what he has done, is in the message that he has given us to share with the world. The power is his entirely, the power of salvation. And it is not ours. It is not found in us. It will never be found in you. It is not yours. Share this, but it belongs to another. I do not know if there was another way for salvation to work. Do you know what I mean? Like, we know how salvation does work. We know how God has chosen to do it. And sometimes people say things in sermons that, that may well be true. Like, how could it be any other way? How, how could mercy and justice meet so perfectly? I, I don't know. I can't answer that. So maybe, maybe it was the only way. But if there was another way for God to save us, that would leave us as the active ingredient. Like, copper puts a coddle in. You know, you can you know, you shampoo by like, the thing that you read and you never know what it means, and yet you put it like a school if, if there was a way for the power to be ours and not his, that's not what he chose. And that's on purpose. I don't know if there was another way for salvation to work. God is bigger than me. But the method of salvation that, that our God has designed puts us into the position of being undeserving recipients of charity. And how often have I heard people say, I don't like receiving charity. Well, good luck, it's the only way to do it. Charity is just a Latin word for grace. We get to contribute nothing to our salvation. Nothing, nothing. Salvation is by grace and through faith and not by works, and that means I have contributed nothing, not a quit, not a, not a jot or a tittle to my salvation. Not only am I put into the position of being an undeserving recipient of grace, but now the gospel sets me up to live a life lived as a dependent on that continued mercy. I, go, I begin by grace, I continue by grace, and the power of my salvation is in the message of the cross itself and not in me. Doesn't our flesh despise powerlessness? Just, um, just in the last twelve months, Elise and I spent a little over twelve months, a lot over twelve months, looking for a rental property so that we could stay in the city. Application after application after application, not even a response. So I've spoken to enough of you now to know that we are not the only ones who have been going through that. The Lindsay's do that whilst they were about to have a baby. Isn't it horrible to be in a position of powerlessness? It wasn't because of us. Right at the end, when we finally got a place, we spoke to a real estate agent, and I just pulled her aside at the inspection. I said, we've been applying for houses for a year and a half. Is there something wrong within our application that is causing us to accept? Can you tell us how to fix it? She said to me, you guys have a really strong application. I'm surprised that happens. There's nothing you can change. Thanks. Then she offers the house, so that's why. We didn't take it. <laughs> because in God's mercy, we got offered two houses in one day. After 12 months of searching and getting married. Ridiculous. 
My flesh hates that story. It was uncomfortable and pleasant the entire time. And even though the animal was good, surely God could have just done that twelve months ago. <laughs> it's not the grace I'm objecting to, it's the time. Likewise, don't we just love being in that position of powerfulness? Like one, of, one of the crowning achievements of my life, you all remember the story, I hear it all the time, was when I first started going to the gym and I missed a Sunday because my legs were ruined. Thank you very much for not forgetting. But the part of the story that you never hear is that young Jules who took me to the gym and destroyed me that week. Within two months, I was out lifting him because I'm a real man. <laughs> Love, the love for my games is, is really, it's really great advice for my church. We hate being in the position of powerlessness. We love being in the position of power, and in the gospel, we are powerless. We're powerless. And that's by design. God is rescuing us from our delusions of grandeur and placing us into the position of the beneficiary. It is all of grace that you stand for. All of grace. Entirely undeserved, and the power belongs to him. It is not ours. We continue, despite this fact, trying to be strong in our own strength. This is the call. Do you see this in your life? Do you see this playing out? That even though we know this to be true, we continue to try and be strong in We see it in our lives when we are slow to pray, as if we think we are the solution for all of the problems. Is there a prayer drought in your life? Let me diagnose what's happening in your heart for you. You think you can, like the little engine that could. We know better. We, we see it in our lives, this one stings, I'm sorry, when we venture into sinful worry. Jesus so wisely said to us, which one of you by worrying has managed to add a day to your life? Shh, Jesus said that, I got this. It's so sad, it's so hard. Don't fix it. The gospel is a call to lay down our strength, our claims to being strong, and to embrace God's strength as our hope. The gospel works not because we are able, but because our God is able. And irony of irony, in embracing my powerlessness and turning to God in faith, I gain access to his powerful cross and I become a potent force for God in this world. I thought of this little church that we are part of here, 150 years. Who knows the name of not this church outside of us? We're not, we're not famous, we're powerful, we're not influential. And over 150 years of faithfulness, what an impact have we had in the broader community of God? Just, just in my time, how many, how many Pastors have we trained and sent? How many just mature Christians have been discipled, raised up, and sent on to bless our church? We will never know what the Lord has done for us. We are powerful. He is. 
the road to strength <laughs> lies through embracing my powerlessness. Embracing it. Welcoming it. Admitting it. Relishing in it. I'm nothing. I'm not able. I'm a big guy. Trust me. The cross is designed to rob us of our boast of strength. Let's go to the next one. The cross is designed to rob us of our boasts of wisdom. <laughs> Otherwise, 1 Corinthians 1 20 through 25. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. I love that sentence. It just doesn't need to be said that well, but it was, and I appreciate that. Since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles. But to those who are poor, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The world did not know God through wisdom. The world did not know God through wisdom. For however long the human race has existed since the fall, no human has figured out God through wisdom. For human cunning. The knowledge of God did not arrive in this world by some wise person sitting under a tree and thinking real hard and figuring him out. We don't have revelation from below. We didn't ascend to God. That's the Tower of Babel. It fell apart. No, God came down and revealed himself to us. That's how God was made known in this world. And when he came, he did not look how we expect him to look. The world didn't know God through wisdom. No human being in the history of the world had figured it out. But I'll be the one, right? If you haven't heard it already, and I was to ask you, how is God going to win his ultimate victory in this world? Right? If you were as yet unfamiliar with what God has actually done. We're living in vacuum world. We've never come across the Christian faith. How is God going to win his ultimate victory in this world? If I was to ask you that, you would not have answered by letting sinners crucify his son. That is not human wisdom. The cross is foolishness by the world's measure of wisdom. The cross is foolishness to the human flesh. This is what Paul calls God's wisdom. That he intentionally, was intentionally, this is the thing that I want you to see, God has intentionally thwarted our preconceived notions of how he should be and disappointed our wisest wisdom. We're given we're giving two kinds, two examples in this passage of two ways humans want God to look. In the first century, these are the two examples, nothing has changed, human nature is, is the same. The Jews at the time wanted signs. They wanted power miracles. They even got some in the Virgin. And raised people from the dead. Yeah, but what we need is a sign. 
He got himself out of the grave. <laughs> yeah, but give me a sign. Power miracles. We like that, don't we? This is, this is how those charlatan TV preachers gain their following. This is why people go to their churches in their tens of thousands. Because we want the power of God. Um, we, we want the power. We want the power. We want God to be all powerful all the time. We want it to be easy. Haven't you heard? Gold dust is falling from the ceiling of that church. They must have the power. We should all just make this church a bigger. That's how those churches go. Actually, social media team is getting out there. Gold dust is falling from the ceiling. <laughs> 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 they won't know for like 40 years. <laughs> Jokes on you. We're in the old world. Um, <laughs> people are chasing a kind of experience. There are people who pursue God, not in order to get God, but in order to get access to the power. To make their life easier. That's their motivation. The Jews want power. They were not content with the heavenly kingdom, they wanted an earthly kingdom. At the same time, the Greeks wanted wisdom. Like Paul said before, he presented the cross not with eloquent wisdom. We've just been reading the book of Romans. We know he's capable. It was not with eloquent wisdom, not with rhetorical skill. Do you know what it's like to interact with that person? You know, sometimes you can lose an argument, not because you were wrong, but because the person that you were arguing with is really good at arguing. It is terrible to be lose. <laughs> <laughs> Greeks wanted God to, to blow us away with his high pollutant learning and philosophy. That's what they wanted God to look like. They didn't, like there is something in us which gauges truth to be true by how the right people hold on to it. They, they wanted the elites, they wanted the educated, they wanted the masters to be able to look at his wisdom and create a school of thought and turn it into a franchise and to the right people to hold to it, therefore it's true. And we're going to look a certain way. And instead, what we got was, instead of, instead of miracles, we got some of those too. But instead of being on the basis of those miracles, instead of being on the basis of pretty wisdom, what we got was a crucified Savior, as I right now. The gospel robs us. To be wise, you don't have it all figured out. You don't have all the answers. You don't need to. There is a quest for truth that is important, but the truth is, is, and it's true before you ever figure it out. God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. That's why this is good news. That's why this is good news. How? Rash, how brave, how boastful has our age become in the face of God? We don't just disagree with God. The world looks at God and says, God, you are immoral. We know better than you. We sit in judgment over God. Good news. God's foolishness is wiser than their wisdom. And it is good news because look at the fruit of their wisdom. What does it produce? That which you desire. No. <laughs> the gospel calls us to lay down our 
claims to be wise. Our claims to being intelligent. Our claims to being articulate. Our claims to being intellectually green. And to embrace God's foolishness as our solution. And wonder of wonders. Irony of ironies. When we cling through white double hope to his foolishness in the face of the world's wisdom, what happens? Every blessing of heaven comes into it. Some purpose. God was delighted to save us in such a way as to rob us of our wisdom. shows us to be insignificant in that it chooses the wrong kinds of people. It chooses the wrong kinds. Let's, let's think about it. Verses 26 to 29. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. There's a purpose. If we were going to start a movement, it's a pretty trendy thing to do these days. We're going to start a movement. We're going to conquer the world. Where would we begin? Let's start a movement to conquer the world. Where would we begin? Ten times out of ten. With the right people. Who can we get on board? Where are the, the powerful? Where are the influential? Where are the leaders? Where are the ones with the right skills? That's who we start. Makes sense. If you're marching an army up the wall, you want the right leaders, don't you? You want the right people in charge. You want the, the skill and, and the training and the. They tell me that internet influencers, which is now a thing, make a lot of money. They're quite successful. It really does work. That, that there are companies that are very willing to give these people money, brands, to give these people money in order to gain access to their influence and sell more stuff. And advertising is based on outcomes. If it didn't work, they wouldn't do it. Which is unfortunate, because I thought influencers were just those irritating people in parks and restaurants that are taking photos of themselves while the rest of us are trying to enjoy ourselves. So we've got to come to, we're going to need some influencers. We're going to need some fame. We're going to leech up their fame. That, that whole thing is the reason why when, when I was young, it was one of those things. I remember a time before we knew what celebrities thought. Wasn't it the best? We, we, we saw a very carefully curated view of the, the, the rich and famous. They presented themselves to us in movies. If there were interviews, those things were, those things were curated. They, they weren't live. And then since the invention of the internet, we get to peer inside their skulls and find that there's nothing to it. <laughs> and yet, <laughs> they continue to put their influence. Their, their opinions out there continually. Thousands of people listen to them. And aren't we also going to report? That is not what we've got to create this. 
That is not the, the group of people that God began with in order to conquer the world. No, he, he picked fishermen and traitors and terrorists to be his apostles. It's like, I'm going to find the quintessential and switch it He's not even from it's switch. Like, from Google. <laughs> it's valid. It's not it's Google. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna find just the biggest traitor in our country. We get skating, and we're gonna create a movement that that's gonna conquer the world. Isn't that ridiculous? He didn't stop there. Not only were the, were the original 12 apostles, the leaders, the earliest leaders, the most significant leaders, the foundational leaders of God's church, not only were they little nobodies and broken people, and how, how does Levi, the tax collector for the Romans, get along with Simon the Zealot in a room? You tell me that. I'm collecting taxes for the Romans. I'm burning down their buildings. Let's have dinner together. This is my body. From there, the apostle to the Gentiles. Who, who, who are we going to get to be the apostle to the Gentiles? I know, the guy murdering the rest of us. And on and on it goes. Until that same God picks you to be the one to take his powerful gospel to your family and your friends and your workplace. And somehow, in God's unwise wisdom, the church hasn't been stuck in 2000. In the gospel, the only one who is a somebody is God. And that is good enough. The gospel robs us of our claims to significance. And if our lives happen to be significant, it's not because of us. Was it Newton who said, I am a very great son, and I have a very great son. In the gospel, the only one who is somebody is God, and irony of ironies. Surprise of surprises. What beautiful people God is. What beautiful people God is. Through their humility, they gain worth. His worth. They share in his dignity. They share in his character. They share in his cause. It is through laying down your place we become co-heirs with Christ and are elevated to eternal importance in an unending world. It's by design, it's not a bug, it's a picture. The gospel is the foolishness of God, and we should be glad this is so. Why? Because of verses 30 and 31. Because of him. Who? Who is the him we're talking about? The God who delights in thwarting the wisdom of the wise. The God who is hell-bent on preventing your boasting in mine. The God who will tolerate no rival for his glory. Because of him, you are in Jesus Christ. What is the outcome of the God-centeredness of God? The answer, your salvation. There is no other way. There never has been another way. There never will be another way into the kingdom of God than through God being bigger and better and more powerful and wiser and more important than us. 
And because God is like that, because God is God and you are not, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, here's the next purpose statement, it's a positive this time, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The gospel has been purpose-built to do away with our boasting of one kind and then to replace it with a boasting of another kind. We are to say goodbye to our sinful boasting before God, the claim to parity with him. God saved me because I was worthwhile. Goodbye. God saved me because I was better than him or her. Goodbye. God saved me because I was wise, or I was powerful, or I was able, or because I was clever, or because I was pretty, or because people liked me, or because I was liked by the right people, or because I knew the right people. Goodbye. Get it done. We have said goodbye to our sinful boasting, and now we boast. We continue to boast. Not lie, but Christ. We boast. The Lord our God, the Lord is it. We boast He is able. We boast He is risen. We boast He is powerful. We boast He is merciful. We boast He receives all that we come into. We boast the gates of hell will not stand against His coming kingdom. We boast. No end crush. And not the fear. We boast that you crucified and he is risen. We boast he is the creator of all things. We boast his wisdom is wiser than your wisdom. We boast in the Lord. So let's become very humble people. Not wise in our own sight, not powerful in our own sight. Unimportant in our own presence. Let's instead be people who, who, who place that all at the feet of the cross willingly, gladly, and, and continuously and become convinced that God knows better than you. Jesus, you are powerful. Jesus, you are wise. Jesus, you are important. This fallen and broken world has no stand to sit in judgment on you. And it is right that we would trust you completely and implicitly. Father, I pray your forgiveness. I pray that you would forgive me, but I am so slow to trust. Strange thing about because I have no reason to trust myself. Every reason to trust myself. Set us free from our addiction to self importance, to self aggrandizement, to self sufficiency, to self help. Self-magnetism. Rescue us from being wise in our own sight. Rescue us from the anger that wells up within us when our plans don't go 
But why do we think Restless from the need to be approved of. Lord, it's time to, I pray you would rest with you and redeem us from the need to comprehend before we trust. There are so many things about you in our God we have yet to know. Just because we haven't seen them doesn't mean that they are not true. Lord, everything you have ever told us about this, every part of your nature we have ever experienced through Christ in your word has proved to be true. Teach me who I am before you, both in its humility and me coming to an end of myself, and Lord, yet also in Christ, in that gospel, the power and the privilege that is ours through the see ourselves the way that you see us? Would you bring us low and devastate us and then knit us back together with humble confidence and assurance? May God be true, though everyone else is evil. We pray in Jesus' name.